Welcome to The Kingstonian, a podcast that profiles individuals who are passionate about what they do for a living, about what organization they belong to, or simply passionate about the community they are a part of. Hello there and welcome. My name is Dave Cunningham. Our guest today is Peter Kingston, and he is a gentleman who is passionate about helping out his community, something he has done for a number of years with different organizations, and we'll talk about a couple of those, and one in particular that he's lending a hand to right now. Peter, welcome. Thank you, David. When you get involved in the community, there's usually something that triggers that at the beginning in terms of trying to get involved in helping out. What was it for you that... Uh, that you can recall? Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, my, my dad ran his own business in Kingston for a number of years, and he was actively involved in the community. He helped start the West Kingston Quanners Club, and he ran the Kingston Ad and Sales Club, and he was in the building supplies business, so he ran that association for a couple of years across the country. So it was a good example for me. And then when I was working with Jim and Paul Brown at Brown's uh, Vending at the time, remember a call came in from Don Neal. Don was a plant manager up at Alcan, and he was looking for Jim, preferably, to come on board for the Junior Achievement Program. And Jim said, just a minute, I've got a, a young man that I think would uh, you'd be well pleased with uh, having a conversation with. So that's sort of my first entry into uh, that type of role. So I ended up uh, with Junior Achievement for a number of years and became president of that board. And at least I find in Kingston, once you're on a board and you meet other people, you, 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 it's easy to find other opportunities or they find you. So I've been involved in and in helped run the St. Lawrence College Foundation when they did the expansion about 10 years ago. Um, I was on the YMCA board and was the president when we did the major expansion up there about eight or nine years ago. And uh, I was going to take a bit of a break when I came off the Y board, but a couple opportunities came by uh, the Boys and Girls Club was looking to add members and I knew I was going to be retiring so I had some thought I'd have some extra time so I, I jumped in there and <laughs> that's been an exciting file and much busier than we expected but in a good way and then the other one that I'm working on that I'm very passionate about as well as I'm chair of the capital campaign for Hospice Kingston to build a residential hospice for our community so I just believe in me is based on the, the people in it and uh, if you want to live in, in a community that you can be proud of you've got to be prepared to step up. We're going to talk about the hospice uh, effort in a little bit, but uh, you talked about getting involved. I think you and I met at the chamber. Yes, Is that where we we were on the board at the same time. Yes, yeah, so that's back in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was that was it that back. Holy mackerel, time flies. But you made a remark earlier about retirement and the fact that, uh, and it, that's what everybody says, and that's what I found, and I think you found the same thing. You're almost busier in retirement than you were when you were working. Absolutely, because you know you, you you now have a lot of time. You you can do it during the day, you can do it in the evening, you can do it on the weekends, and and uh, so yeah, I find myself quite busy. But uh, I also it allows me time to do other things with with her family and with grandkids. And if I want to go golf, I golf, and so it gives me a nice blend of of, of both. Because I just didn't want to retire and sit on the sidelines. I don't mm -hmm. think that's healthy long term either. Right. Oh yeah, there's many examples of that going the wrong way. Let's talk a little bit about what you get out of the involvement. What do you get out of it? Well, I mean, the organizations like Junior Achievement, the Y, and Boys and Girls Club, um, they all had a, a youth and child and youth focus, and I think that's important. I mean, if you want a good, strong community, you've got to you've got to help with uh, the younger folks 
to get in, to get involved and, and to do well, and, and and hopefully they become good citizens of the community as well. So that's always been important to me. It's 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 quite unfair if young folks don't get an opportunity or don't get a break. And certainly both the Y and the Boys and Girls Club, we have a philosophy that if you cannot afford to pay the going rate, then there is a subsidy program in place. And, and again, that's important to me that no one gets turned away in our community because they can't afford it. So mm-hmm. I, I think, and then the, you know, the hospice on the other end is important to me because it's, uh, I think you can judge a community by how they treat folks at the end of their life. Yeah. And we have had the resident, or we've had the hospice organization in our community for over 30 years, but we're probably the only city in Ontario with three hospitals, a medical school, and not one residential hospice bed. So the campaign title, The Time Is Now, and that is very fitting and appropriate that we need to get this facility built, and we're well on our way. Let's talk a little bit about your involvement with the Y. A lot of people know what the YMCA is all about, but you were involved when they uh, got involved with a, a major expansion. Yeah, so that was uh, probably the conversation on expansion started about 10 or 12 years ago. And we looked at the current facility and, and the condition of it. We looked at, do we, you know, do we move the location to the West End where more of the growth and more of the younger families were and did some scenarios financially on that. And it, the decision we made at the time that, that made the most sense is we decided to build a brand new pool and convert the existing pool and, and add some uh, some other facilities to the current location at Wright Crescent, and um, and that that proved to, uh, to I think to be a very good thing. It's it's a, it's a pretty vibrant community up at the Y. I, I know they've had some some recent competition, but the Y is much more than just a fitness facility. I mean, they've got a Wise Hearts program there for people who've had heart issues. And it, what's you know that's they're really passionate about that, and and you know those members are really enjoying getting back in shape and hopefully not having a heart issue going forward. So again, it's it's open to everyone, and that's that's always important to me. It's not an exclusive uh, club that you could find in a bigger city. This is uh, all walks of life are there, and that that really makes it a, an interesting community to be part of. What do you bring to an organization like that? Because a lot of what we're talking about here in terms of your involvement has been fundraising to uh, build something in particular. Yeah. What is it that you bring to the organization? Well, I think, I mean, I, my background is I have a business degree from Queens and I've been in the business world all my working life. So I think any board, whether it's a not-for-profit or a not, it needs a blend of people with a good social conscience as well as people that have a solid financial uh, background. And I think, I think I bring a decent social conscience, but also the financial background, because when we go to do something, for instance, the expansion at the Y, it's, it's not a small project. And so you want to make sure that you've looked at all the risks and done the proper risk assessment in order to make the best decisions as to what you're going to build and how, how much you're going to spend and how you're going to raise the money. And I do have an advantage, I think, because I've lived in the community all my life. I know a number of people. So I'm not afraid to pick up the phone and make calls for money if I believe in the cause. If I don't believe in the cause, I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. But anything that I've been involved in, I have no problem talking to companies or individuals or foundations to get them as enthusiastic about the cause as I am. And have had some pretty good success at all those organizations from a fundraising point of view. 
A lot of people have been involved in different kinds of fundraising projects on a smaller scale where they might be selling uh, chocolate-covered almonds or something <laughs> like that to raise a few bucks for this group or that group. But when you're doing a project like you've been doing in different places, you're phoning up and asking people to contribute significant dollars. What sorts of other uh, avenues to raise money do you employ, or is it all just picking up the phone? It's it's been mostly picking up the phone, I and mean, we've run different events. But most of the success is 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 phoning up people. Uh, for an example, uh, you know the wonderful man Britt Smith. I mean, he's been a great member of our community, very very generous to the community, and he understands what the community needs. And if we if you're able to present something to him that makes sense, he he processes quite quickly and and comes on board, and normally in a very significant way. And the same as if you go to corporations or there's some good foundations around town as well, as long as we can present a solid case as to how their money will be invested and that will be we will steward it well over mm-hmm. the long term as opposed to it just comes in and it, it, it's, it's gone. I, I mean, it's important for me that when people give us money for different organizations that it's well managed and, and well invested in the community. Well, let's get back to our conversation. Uh, Boys and Girls Club. Yes. I have been very impressed with that organization, just from the perspective of the support it gets from the community. And how did you get involved in that group? Well, again, right near the end of my working career back in uh, 2014, I do believe, uh, one of the gentlemen on the board approached me to see if I'd be interested in coming on the board. And I got some more information, did some research on the organization. They'd been around in Kingston, supported strongly by the Rotary, which was a good endorsement for me. So I said, yeah, I, I'm interested because uh, I, I believe in helping youth. And, and if it was doing a focus at that point in time on more the North End, where some of the families and the kids don't have the same advantages. So that was uh, an important factor. And I, I got to the role of president a little quicker than I thought. But we've really ramped up the program. We had an opportunity to move to the West End, where there's a lot of challenges but a lot of families as well that have the same needs as other parts of the city and we rented uh, 55,000 square feet at the Frontenac Mall Mm -hmm. and again did a lot of due diligence and a lot of risk assessment before we we went in there but we're delighted with how it's working out. We've got the Seniors Association in there during the day. We have an alternative program with one of the high schools. We've got uh, a number of different, we've got the Maple Health Clinic does some uh, outreach there. The Kingston Community Health Center does some outreach there. So it's really turning into a community hub. And we always thought that it had that capacity because of the location. And and that's what's happening. And once we've been there, we've been able to grow the membership significantly. And we do what I think is unique. And I give Harold Parsons, our executive director, a lot of credit and his team. We have a lot of social enterprises that those enterprises give value to our members and that's the first priority but then we also try and open them up to the public and for instance we have inflatables that can uh, be taken to a school or your backyard for parties and so that generates extra revenue for Mm -hmm. our club it generates extra hours for our staff and it makes us less dependent on always having to have our handout and so We've got about five of those right now, and that's uh, that's an exciting for us. And some other things we're working on that I, I can't say at the moment, but uh, if it comes uh, comes to play, I think uh, I think it'll be very good for the community. This is the old Premier Fitness location, the West End location yeah. that we're talking about in particular, and uh, I can understand that you would have to spend a lot of time analyzing 
that to see if you wanted to undertake, because it is such a big space, and I've been in it a couple yeah. of times, and I'm just impressed about how full the place is every time I walk in the door. Well, surprisingly, if, if I walked you through the, the complex, we didn't change a lot. I mean, we, we sat on the pool and didn't uh, open it up for a while because pools aren't inexpensive to run, but we did our analysis and the, the landlord gave us an opportunity uh, and some money to help us get it back up and running if we chose to go that direction, and we did. So we also, you know, the city of Kingston's a partner with ours now, so some of the, if you're in the West End and you want swimming lessons, you can either go downtown or you can come to the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, we had 7,000 square feet of mezzanine that was unused and scratched our heads for quite a while, and now that is all youth-focused. So we have a really growing and expanding youth program, 22 hours a week of programming at no cost. Mm -hmm. and. You know, we, we just don't like the idea of kids going home after school and sitting on the couch and, and uh, who knows what they're up to. But if playing they're with us, yeah. Or, or yeah, playing video yeah. games or, or whatever, not active. So when it, someone comes to our programs after school, they're getting a healthy snack, they're going to get some physical fitness, and they're going to get homework help. So when they go home, it's a lot easier for the parents because the kids yeah. have had some food, they don't have to negotiate homework time, and they're probably tired. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and so I think it's really good value for the the, the child, and, and and certainly very helpful for the family. Let's talk a little bit about Hospice Kingston and the residential project that you are intimately involved with. Uh, let's describe Hospice Kingston. No, no, we talked about a little bit about it before, yeah. but let's. Talk well, Hospice a bit about Kingston as an organization has been in Kingston for over thirty-two years. Um, they, they've, their primary focus has always been, and rightfully so, outreach programs. So when somebody gets a, a terminal diagnosis, they, they might have a few years to live or they might have a few months to live, but oftentimes uh, it, it catches them off guard and they, they, they don't know what to do, don't know who to turn to. So hospice as an organization will help them. They'll help them uh, think about what's coming up, and we have a number of volunteers. So sometimes a caregiver for the person who's ill, that person can burn out <laughs> which is not good. So we, we will send uh, an individual to that home to give that person some relief. And we're just sometimes just there to, to hold the, the, the patient's hand and, mm -hmm. and just give them some, some time and attention. And so that program has been very successful. And, and ideally in a hospice organization, a majority of the clients want to die at home. And that's what our organization tries to help uh, help them do but in, in not in every case can that uh, that happen a lot of times they end up where their health turns down and uh, they need a higher level of care so in Kingston right now that means you're going to a KGH and you're going to go to acute care hospital and take up an acute care bed which is very expensive and that's probably not where they want to be mm -hmm. so that has been the focus of this organization for the last three or four years is to find the right piece of property and or the right building and then do a design, and then build a residential hospice and also attach to that the hospice organization's outreach program. So we are now at the point where we're about halfway through our campaign. We the, They looked at many, many different options, but they've settled on a piece of property behind uh, Heathfield, which was offered to us by the Sisters of Providence. So that's the property uh, corners of John A. and Princess. Right. We've got about 1.4 to 1.5 acres. And on that property, starting this spring, we're going to turn the sod and we're going to build a 10-bed residential hospice and a palliative care center of excellence where we'll have all those hospice services that we currently offer now out of our 
office on Berry Street, we're going to be able to offer them there. So we're really, really excited for, for this location. We think it's centrally located. Um, as I said, our city is probably one of the only cities that we know of in our province, if not our country, of our size with three medical hospitals, a teaching medical school, and not one residential bed. So the services offered inside the residential hospice will be as an alternative to them going into KGH for acute care. Correct. So just, I mean, again, because my background is in finance, from a pure bottom line point of view, a hospice bed costs about $450 a day. An acute care bed could be twelve, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500 or more. And that's not where a, a dying person wants mm-hmm. to be. They want to be in a quiet place, like a hospice, in their own room, lots of volunteers, lots of ability for family and friends to come and go any time of the day or night. And that's, and I just, for I, I, my mother-in-law was quite ill for the last six months, and she was in and out of hospitals on the west end of Toronto, and, and her health was continued to deteriorate, and she finally was given an opportunity to go into the Dorothy Lay Hospice in Etobicoke. And so that's where she spent her last two weeks. And I can tell you, just with my wife and her two sisters, the amount of relief that they experienced knowing that their mom was going to be in a hospice with that level of care was wonderful. We think it was also good for my mother-in-law. She was a little bit in and out of it. Yeah. Uh, but for people who are with it and they go into a hospice, they experience a lot lower level of stress because they know that the stress on the family is, is less. way less yeah. now. Mm-hmm. How is the campaign itself going? So well, we our initial goal was $7.8 million and we're just crossing $4 million right now. And that's all from the community. That's, you know, again, back to Mr. Smith. Britt Smith uh, gave us a lead donation of a million dollars. We have a number of foundations locally that have come on board as well as individuals. At this point in time, there's been no provincial funding. Having said that, we do have some uh, so an ask in place. The provincial government is really coming uh, to grips with long-term care and uh, and palliative care and hospice care. And so we think we'll know before the end of this year we could see a substantial boost to our campaign from the province. So you know, building pr- uh, prices aren't going down, so we'll probably have to raise a bit more than our initial goal. Mm-hmm. But I'm very confident that our community, as they always have, will come together and we'll get this built and we'll be able to open the doors and not have a mortgage. If somebody wants more information about this campaign, where can they go? Well, they can go right to the Hospice Kingston website, and uh, and there's a, there's an actual uh, there's an ability to, to make a donation right on the website, or they can call the hospice office and talk directly to Donald, uh, Donna Dwyer. So Donna's the campaign manager, and and Donna's been on the on the program for about three and a half four years now. And they can they can access anybody they want. They can talk to our executive director, Ron Lorette. Uh, but they, I would say go to the website first, mm-hmm. get a little bit more background as to what the organization has done, what they are doing, and then uh, call in and, and, and either get your answers over the phone or they happily have people drop in anytime. Peter Kingston has been our guest on the program today. And once again, thank you very much for dropping by. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. And uh, continue success with your program. Thank you very much. Theme music for the program is Stasis Oasis, a tune written and performed by Kingston musician Jim Aylesworth. 
If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about any of our episodes, please send a note to the Kingstonian Podcast Facebook page. This is Dave Cunningham from Kingston, Ontario. Thank you for listening. Until next time.